On August 28, 1963, the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. delivered his I Have a Dream speech from the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. And I want to read just a portion. I can't do justice to the great orator that Dr. King was, but I want to read just a portion of this familiar speech. Dr. King proclaimed to us, I say to you today, my friends, so even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that one day my four little children will live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Martin Luther King Jr. I have a dream speech. Brothers and sisters, God gives His people hopes and dreams. Not just Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., but He gives you hopes and dreams. And as we near the end of Paul's letter to the Romans, he opens up a little bit and he lets us in to this dream that God has placed on his own heart. He lets us see a little bit of what he desires, the Apostle Paul, what he desires. And as we take a closer look at Paul's dream, God gives us a simple pattern for our own dreams. And so, if you will, the first step in that pattern is this, dream big. Dream big. Now listen to the Word of God from Romans 15, verse 22. This is the reason, Paul writes, why I have been hindered from coming to you, verse 23. But now, since I am no longer have any room for the work in these regions... And since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. What was Paul's dream? Did you, did you hear it? What was his hope? What was his longing? What was his great desire? He said, I have longed for many years to come to you. I have longed for many years to come to visit you in Rome. You see, for a long, long time, Paul has dreamed of going all the way west to Rome to visit this fledgling church in Rome. And not only that, he says, a larger part of my big dream is not only to come to Rome, but to go even further west 
all the way to the west of the Roman Empire to Spain. So that from east to west, Paul's dream was that he would have been able to plant churches and preach the gospel across the entire Roman Empire. That was Paul's dream. That was his vision. And going to Rome was a central piece in that vision that he had not achieved yet. He had not been there. He had not actually met this church that he's writing this long letter to. His dream is to go from frontier to frontier. And I have a map of the Roman Empire, if, if uh, Laurie could pull that up for me. And you can see, hopefully, I know it's small, but you can see from east to west, from east, Jerusalem, to west, Spain. The entire span of the Roman Empire is where Paul's dream was to be able to proclaim the good news of Jesus. All over that place. That's incredible, y'all. Think about how, how small the world was for the average person in the first century. I mean, their world was a village, typically. Like a lot of kids in Orangeburg, their world was a village. And yet God gave the Apostle Paul this worldwide vision, this worldwide dream. And I want to make two observations about Paul's dream that we need to think about, especially as we think about our own dreams. And the first one is this, that the dream has a kingdom factor. Notice what he says at the beginning. He says, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered in coming, coming to you. We almost pick up in the middle of his thought. So when we do that, when we're reading scripture and we pick up in the middle of a thought, what do we need to do? Bible scholars. We need to go back, right? We need to go back and see what's the context. We need to pick that up. And so as we go back and as we look at the context, we can see exactly what he's talking about. What is that dream? Well, what is that reason why he's been delayed? And if we back up just a few verses in uh, 15, 19 through 21, I don't have it on the screen, but I'll just read it for you. He says, from Jerusalem, okay, in the east, from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, which is about halfway across the Roman Empire. So from Jerusalem to about halfway across the Roman Empire, he says, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel to those who have never heard. And so Paul has made it his ambition to go to all the places where nobody knows about God, where nobody knows about Christ, and that is the thing that's held him up from, it, from realizing his vision. Realizing his dream, what's held him up is this kingdom factor. He's delayed his dream because he's been busy doing the work of God right where he is. And you know, that, that may be true for us too. Sometimes our devotion to what God has called us to right now, right now, where we are in Orangeburg, even before we move out of Orangeburg, right? Right now today is to be focused on what has God called me to do today? And yes, that may delay the dream, but it's an important part of what we need to be about, the kingdom factor. Our dreams should have a kingdom factor too. We should consider the kingdom of God as we set our hopes and dreams. What, what does God want to do? Not just what are my hopes and dreams. What do I want to do? What do I want to accomplish? But we need to think about what does God want to do? We need to ask that question. What does God want to do in us and through us? So if you have a dream about going to college, 
then you need to think about how can I connect with God's kingdom while I'm at college, right? If you have a dream about a career, then, then you, need to, you need to ask, how will my career advance God's kingdom work? If you have a dream about getting married and having a spouse one day, then, then we need to ask the question, how does my dream about getting married or having a spouse, how does that advance God's kingdom? And how can I find someone who has that same heart and that same dream to advance God's kingdom and loves God just like I do? Or, or if you have a dream about a family, how can I bring my family into God's family? How can I bring that kingdom factor into every single area of life that we dream about. My possessions, how can I use them in God's kingdom? How can I use my house? How can I use my car? How can I use anything that I have? My resources, my food. This idea is going to come back later as we continue. The dream has a kingdom factor, and the dream also has a people factor. Did you notice that Paul's dream is focused on relationships? His dream is focused on people. He says, I want to come to you and I want to see the sights of Rome. Is that what he says? I want to check out the Colosseum. Is that what Paul says? No. He says, I want to enjoy your company for a while. See, Paul's dream has a people factor. He's focused on building relationships. Why? Because God created us for relationships. And so our dreams should have a people factor. They should not only be about the, the where we want to go and the what we want to do, but the who we want to love and the who we want to serve. The people factor. How do we dream? Just a couple of ideas for you. You know, we get so busy. Who's busy? Raise your hand. Over half the group. Some of you are busy, and some of you have, do a good job of resting. Who feels like they do a pretty good job of resting? Just a few of you. Good. <laughs> okay, those of you that raised your hands, who's just, who's just lazy? No, no, I'm just kidding. Don't raise your hands. <laughs> See, Paul, Paul calls us, God calls us to take time to dream. This is important. Because if you just get stuck in the day-to-day -day of your life, you will never take time to dream. And we need to. We need to pause. We need to get away from the noise, if we can, of life and of social media and entertainment that just completely clouds our minds so much of the time. We need to get away. We need to get a journal. We need to write it out. We need to make a collage. We need to do some vision boarding. We need to do some vision journaling. We need to take time to imagine the future. Take time to imagine what is my dream? What does God want to do in my life with the kingdom factor and a people factor? Like Martin Luther King Jr. and like the Apostle Paul, God wants us to dream big. And then he wants us to make a plan. This is the number two uh, of, this pattern of dr uh, this pattern of having a dream, having hopes and dreams. Number one, dream big. Number two, make a plan. Let's look at verse 25. At present, however, Paul writes, and notice, he's put his dream out there, and then all of a sudden he says, but presently, right, at present, however, 
I am going to Jerusalem to bring aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contributions for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Okay, so that's, that's his plan. His plan is I've got to go to Jerusalem, right? I've got to go back east to Jerusalem because I've been collecting money. Because the church in Jerusalem was suffering in poverty. And so Paul, everywhere he went in the Roman Empire, all the churches that he planted, he collected funds to take back to Jerusalem to help support the church that was suffering. Isn't that, isn't that beautiful? And we're going to talk more about that in a moment. But this is his plan. His plan is to take this money from Philippi and Thessalonica and Corinth, where he is currently, and go back to Jerusalem and just hand it over to the Christians in Jerusalem and say, use this however you see fit. And then, after he delivers this gift What's he going to do? He's going to head west, right? He's going to begin what would have been his fourth missionary journey to Rome. And then from Rome to the frontier of the Roman Empire to Spain. Two observations about Paul's plan. This plan was strategic. Our plans need to really have a purpose. They need to really be strategic. See, Paul wanted to demonstrate in this action, I'm going to explain more about this. He wanted to demonstrate the radical unity that the gospel of Jesus brings to the world. He wanted to demonstrate how God's grace transforms us from being enemies of God to being brought into the same household as his adopted children. He wanted to demonstrate how God's grace transforms us, not by our efforts, not by what we bring to the table, not by our religious duties and exercises, not by our money or our status or our ethnicity, but only by simple faith in the Savior named Jesus, who did everything and lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died. And that through faith in Him, there's this radical unity. The radical unity that transforms us by the power of God's Spirit. And that gives us this new, eclectic fellowship with people of every community and every tribe and every background and every experience from around the known world at the time into one family, into one household, into one ecclesia church. And so this plan to, to, to achieve this radical big dream was strategic. Why? Because he's going to take physical money, y'all, Real cash, cold, hard cash. He's taking real, tangible money. And he's going to take it and he's going to place it in front of the church in Jerusalem. And there's something you have to know about the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem 
had a very hard time accepting the church everywhere else. Why? Because they were culturally homogenous for the most part. They were mostly ethnically, religiously Jewish. And this mission that God had sent His people on to the ends of the earth to reach all people was going to be demonstrated in this tangible act where Paul brings cold hard cash and puts it at the feet of the believers in Jerusalem. And what's he doing? He's demonstrating his theology. He's saying, we have this radical unity, now look at it. Look at how beautiful it is as he hands them the money. He says, this church that you think is all about you is really not all about you. It's about the whole world. Look at what God is doing. God moved the hearts of these Gentiles, these people that you have so long called barbarians. He moved their hearts to love you in such a tangible way that they would give and give and give an abundance to help you in your time of need. The plan was strategic. And verse 27 says that the Gentiles were pleased to do it. That they, they wanted to do it because they owe it to them. For the Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessings so that they might share with them in their material blessings. That unity in the Spirit leads to a unity in practice. The plan was strategic and the plan was hopeful. In verse 29, Paul writes, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I mean, he has a big dream. It's an impossible dream, really. But he believes and he's hopeful that when he comes to Rome, when he comes to Rome, right? When I come to Rome, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. See, Paul's plan anticipates the continued faithfulness of God. And so when we dream big and we, and we make a plan and it's strategic, the plan also needs to be hopeful. It needs to be hopeful because we have a God who is going before us and when we get there, He will have already been there. The plan was hopeful. His dream was so big. It was so risky that it was doomed to failure unless God made it happen. New City, we have a dream too. We have a dream that's connected to Paul's dream. We have a dream that's connected to Dr. Martin Luther King's dream. And it's a dream for unity, isn't it? It's a dream for ethnic and cultural unity. But the, the challenge and the encouragement from the Scripture today is that as we grow together as a church, as we grow together as a family, that we should not be satisfied with a superficial unity. We should not be satisfied with a mere spiritual unity. We don't want to merely look diverse on our website, for example. But this dream is to ask God to make our unity tangible, to make our unity real and practical, and as he says in the scripture, physical. 
So that when you have a need, the body gathers around you and helps meet that need. Not just a spiritual need, a physical need. And many of you can testify to that physical reality of unity in the body of Christ right here in this, in this small body of believers that we call New City. What is our dream? To share in spiritual blessings and to share in physical blessings. This plan, y'all, is strategic. It is strategic, and, and right now it may seem small. Okay, it is. It may seem small, but, but, that, but that little dream, that little hope that God is planting in you right now, we believe and we trust and we're hopeful that God will use it to show a world that is increasingly divided and that is increasingly fearful and that is increasingly hopeless that God has a way to bring unity. And He's doing it right here in little ways, in spiritual ways and in physical ways. God wants us to dream big. And God wants us to make a plan. And thirdly, God wants us to bring it to Him. That we might dream big, that we might make a plan, and that we might bring it to God. Look with me at verse 30. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Bring it to God. Big, big dream. Dream big. Make a plan and bring it to God. Isn't that what Paul does here? He brings it to God, but not only by himself, right? He invites everyone else. He says, strive with me in prayer. Strive with me in prayer. Bring it to God with me, this dream. He brings it to God and he asks the church in Rome who he's never met to pray with him, to strive together in prayer, to lay the dream and the plan before God. He invites his church family to join him in the struggle. Two quick observations about this prayer this prayer request. The first one is this. It's realistic. Paul recognizes two dangers that could just totally ruin this whole vision, this whole dream, this whole plan, that could completely disrupt this plan. One of those dangers is from the outside, and one of those dangers is from the inside. Look with me again at verse 31. He says, pray with me that... Number one, I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. And number two, that my service for Jerusalem, this gift, this financial gift, may be acceptable to the saints, the believers. There's an outside danger that the unbelievers in Judea, that the, the Jewish leaders and officials, and that the Romans would 
not be happy with Paul's return to Jerusalem and that they would seek to kill him. He knew this was a distinct possibility because of the hatred that Jerusalem had seen years before as the church scrambled as it was being persecuted and and went to the four corners of the world. They didn't like this Christian message of grace for rebels and sinners. They didn't like this message, this Christian message about about a God who became man and dwelt among us and lived for us and died for us and then rose from the dead for us. They didn't like that message. It was foolishness to them. They didn't like the testimony that the Messiah had come, that the King had come, but not in the way that they expected. They didn't like, especially they didn't like the message that this salvation was for the whole world. Not just for the Jewish people, but for the whole world. And they did not like that. They didn't like it. They hated it, in fact. And Paul knew that hostility awaited him in Jerusalem. That was the outside danger. But what about the inside danger? Paul asked for prayer that his service for Jerusalem might be acceptable to the saints. Now, why wouldn't they want to accept a financial gift? That doesn't make any sense, does it? I mean, if someone's bringing you a big old bag of money, you're going to say, no thanks. Well, why? Why might they not want to receive it? Well, you have to realize that even the Christians in Jerusalem were very conservative religiously. That many of them held that the Gentiles, if they did become believers, that they still needed to follow the law of Moses, the cleanliness laws, and they needed to adopt Jewish practices, cultural practices. And so here's the thing. The church in Jerusalem... They may have treated that gift that Paul had received from all of these Gentile churches as tainted money. And they might have said, no thanks, we don't want your dirty money. You see, that was a real distinct possibility because of, the well, you know, the way religious people are, amen? The way we can be. And so there was an outside danger and there was an inside danger. And so Paul and the church prayed that he would not face the hostility of the unbelievers and that he would be accepted by the believers. Our hopes and dreams have many obstacles, don't they? That's why we must bring them to God. Prayer is a fight. Don't miss it. Prayer is a fight. Verse 30 says, strive together with me in your prayers. Strive together with me in your prayers. Brothers and sisters, prayer is not magic. It's not how we uh, pull God's strings and manipulate Him into doing what we want. Prayer is submitting our plans to God. Prayer is submitting our dreams to God. It's bringing Him our hopes It's bringing Him our fears and our doubts and the dangers that we see in front of us and every obstacle, and it's trusting that God hears our prayers and that He answers them. It's faith. Prayer is full of faith, isn't it? It's a fight. It's a fight to believe. It's a fight to trust that God will do what He said He would do. Prayer is a fight. It's a fight to trust. 
And it's a fight that you don't have to do on your own. What does the Apostle Paul say? He says, strive together with me. So brothers and sisters, we got to be praying together. And we do. And we need to do it more at every opportunity. We need to be praying together. Striving in prayer together for those big things that God is calling us to do. For those big things and for those little things that get under our skin, like this microphone that won't stay where it's put, where it's supposed to be. Lord, help me. <laughs> Prayer is a fight to believe that God will work all things together for good. For those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Prayer is a fight that we are invited into. And so we bring our dreams and we place them before God and we trust Him. And we work the plan. We work the plan together. So what, ha- what happened to Paul's dream? The book of Romans doesn't tell us what happened to Paul's dream, but the book of Acts does. And not only the book of Acts, but the, 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 the letters that Paul later wrote to uh, churches from prison. What happened to Paul's dream? What happened to Paul? Well, some of you know. Give me a second. If you're looking for perfection, you came to the wrong church. Amen? All right. What happened to Paul? What happened to Paul's dream? Paul did end up in Rome. He did end up in Rome. And the gospel did reach Spain. See, his dream was fulfilled. But it wasn't in the way Paul expected. It wasn't in the way Paul expected because the full measure of the blessing of Christ, which he prayed for and he fully expected to be the reality, evidently included escaping a murder plot by the unbelievers in Jerusalem. Evidently, the full measure of the blessing of Christ included two long years rotting in a jail cell. Evidently, the full measure of the blessing of Christ involved a hazardous journey across the Mediterranean Sea and a shipwreck and near death at many turns. But then finally, arriving in Rome, bound in chains. Sometimes our dreams and our plans and our submitting them to God doesn't go the way that we thought that it would. Even though God did answer his prayer, he he did not die in Jerusalem. He was protected from the mob. And he did make it to Rome. And you know what? When he was in Rome, he got to freely, the scripture says he freely preached and proclaimed the gospel. Uh, Historians even think that he, he may have gone to Spain. We don't know for sure because it's not recorded in Scripture. But there's a tradition that says that he did go to Spain at some point in those years from Rome. And so it's, it's very likely that his entire dream did come to pass. 
but not in the way he expected. I promise you, he wasn't expecting to come to Rome with chains on his arms and legs. But listen to these words from the letter that he wrote to the Philippians later, years later. He wrote Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. He wrote this. He said, I want you to know, my brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, all of this, has really served to advance the good news of Jesus. So that it has become known throughout the entire imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Man, even when his dream was fulfilled and he was in prison, he could see through the eyes and the lens of faith that what has happened to him was really serving the good. And look, I know some of you have dreams. And I know that some of you have ended up in chains, so to speak. Pursuing those dreams. And God wants to say to you today that He has not forgotten about you. And that He is actually accomplishing His purpose in and through the most difficult of circumstances that you can face. God took Paul's hopes and dreams and he worked them together for good. God took Dr. King's hopes and dreams. It didn't end the way Dr. King wanted either, did it? Not for him. But we are still working. God is still working even in us today to bring that dream together for good. Amen? And God will take your hopes and dreams too. And he will do far more abundantly than you could ever think or ask. And so God's, God's will for you today is this. Dream big. Dream big. Take some time to dream big. Make a plan. Make it strategic. Make it hopeful. And then lay it before God. Bring it to Him in prayer. And tell somebody about it. And say, hey, pray for me about this dream that I have. And let's, let's join one another. Let's pray together. Because that's where the real battle takes place on our knees. Let's do that now. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you do hear our prayers and that you are working all things together for good in this broken and messed up world where dreams are apparently dashed, where where lives are cut short, where death rules in so many ways where evil so quickly gets a foothold in each of our hearts. God, I thank you that you are using each one of us to bring change and redemption to this broken world. And that you've chosen to do it through something called a dream. That we get to consider and think and imagine what you might be doing in us and then we get to make a plan and we get to move toward it for your glory, for that kingdom factor, for that people factor. And we submit it to you, Lord, because we know without you nothing could happen. And so, Lord, I pray that there would be a hundred dreams in this room and that those dreams would be planned and executed and 
that they would be submitted to you and that we together would be able to pray for one another in accomplishing these purposes that you have for your body. Lord, do your work. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for choosing to use us. We are weak and you are strong. And it's in your mighty, matchless name that we pray. Amen. Amen.